A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm the host, Zivi Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Zivyverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Zivyverse, and we're going with it. Go to zivyowens.com to learn more, and follow me on Instagram at zivyowens. David Duchovny is the author of The Reservoir, a novella. He is an award-winning actor, writer, director, New York Times bestselling author, and singer-songwriter. With an acting career spanning more than three decades, Duchovny is a two-time Golden Globe winner and four-time Emmy nominee. He is the author of four previous novels, Truly Like Lightning, Holy Cow, Bucky Effing Dent, and Miss Subways. Duchovny adapted his novel, Bucky Effing Dent, into a film he also directed, which premiered at the 2023 Tribeca Film Festival. As a musician, he has released three studio albums, Hell or High Water, Every Third Thought, and Gesture Land. The Reservoir is his most recent book. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Reservoir, a novella. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I had the moms in mind because I know they don't have time to read books, but maybe they have time to read a novella. Totally. I was like, oh, this I can do for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't get through a novella. One time I was on a plane and I wrote like, all, you know, this whole long thing. And I was like, is this a book? How do I know if it's a novella? And I was searching, yeah. how do you know if it's, an, how many words is a novella versus a book? So. Yeah, it's not a rule by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did the same thing because I was like, is this a <laughs> story? Or I know it's not a novel, but it, but is it a long, short story? Or is it, <laughs> oh, it's a novel. 
novella is such a nice old-fashioned kind of term I, I like a novella it's like a like a popsicle you know like a diminutive of something i like it totally i think novellas need to make a comeback actually because you're right i mean you can read them faster they fit in your back yeah you can put it in your back it like your JD Sound or short stories, you know, just totally. You just you feel more literary just even holding it. Yeah, just put it on your table. <laughs> we were just talking about the reservoir itself, and I am being from New York, grown up going to the reservoir, which plays a central role in the story. And I remember my lacrosse team in middle school, we had to like, you know, cradle the ball, like running around the entire reservoir. Right. Anyway, I've I've been there many, many a time. <laughs> yeah. Sure. As all New Yorkers pretty much have, because it's such a pretty place. But it takes a very dark role in your story. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what the reservoir is about and when and why and how you were inspired to write it. Well, I, I grew up on 11th Street and 2nd Avenue, so I was I, I was not really a park guy. Like, But I did go to school, as I mentioned to you, at Collegiate, which was on the Upper West Side. So I played baseball in the park. I got to know the park a little bit in high school, even though, you know, it was really just hanging out with my new friends from high school who lived up there. But it was never like a central part of my life. It was really when I uh, when I moved, you know, I raised my kids when we moved to New York and I and I lived on Central Park West there and I had that view of the reservoir and I and I really got to know the park a little better and it featured somewhat in a novel I wrote called Miss Subways. And so I was kind of it was kind of like always kind of feeding my imagination from that point on because it was this weird thing. You know, having grown up, as I said, downtown, it just wasn't really part of my life. And then, you know, to realize you have this this huge thing in the middle of this, you know, asphalt jungle, right? And it's just, it's uh, it's hard to imagine the city without it. And yet it's not, it's not really a place for people who are outside the city. Maybe it's a nice place to take a walk or whatever, but it's not really what people come to for New York. But I think it's really what, people that live in Manhattan rely on it in many ways. It's kind of like a, you know, like a safety valve or just like to release pressure in a way. And so I, I really began to kind of get into it that way. And then uh, it was during the pandemic uh, and I had this great view, you know, of the reservoir and of Fifth Avenue across the way. And during the pandemic, there was really nothing much to do, but but look out that window, right? And I was just, just kind of the story just kind of came to me, you know, in in bits, you know, like, oh, rear window, like, what if somebody was in one of those windows, Fifth Avenue across the way? Um, and then, you know, the the pandemic, the nature of the pandemic, reminding me of, like, death in Venice and, you know, the, all, all, the, uh, all the discussion and the awareness of, like, the proximity to actual people, you know, six feet was this magical kind of a distance, and it was just very... It was very new, obviously, to all of us, but, you know, not historically, right? There have been plagues or whatever, and people have, a lot of literature has come out of plagues, you know, like uh, Canterbury Tales is like, you know, the backdrop of that is, is a plague. They're going on a pilgrimage during a plague. Uh, castle of Cross Destinies by Italo Calvino is kind of set in a castle during a lockdown of sorts, you know, and obviously Death in Venice, you know, Aschenbach, the protagonist of that, doesn't really heed the lockdown. You know, he's he's kind of pursuing his obsession of of uh, Tadzio, the, the the young Polish kid in Venice and not paying heed to the fact that he shouldn't be eating those strawberries or, you know, hanging out at all. He should go back home. So that all just kind of, you know, just kind of coalesced into some kind of, you know, modern day story of a, of a lockdown. You know, it kind of helped me 
You know, because it, it seems like whenever we go through things these days in terms of the media, everything it seems like, oh, it's the first time this has ever happened. You know, <laughs> we, we kind of tell ourselves we're, we're in uncharted territory when I'm not sure that that's true, you know, most of the time. And so it wasn't true this time. And I thought, well, there's some old wisdom there. There's some there's some old there's stories to be told through these kinds of times, you know, that relate down the ages and relate to ourselves. Now, so that's kind of just what I thought I was doing when I started it. Interesting. It doesn't have the same feel, though, as a typical, like, this is about lockdown, because it's so much the interior life, right? This is about sort of your grasp on reality and what happens when it starts slipping and and the city of New York and so much more. And you even link it with 9-11 and just other things that have brought the city to its knees and how we keep recovering. So, Well, also it was, you know, what's different about lockdown in our age is that we have we have, you know, in, in the old literature has people in lockdown telling each other stories. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the the way into the the work is, okay, we're all sitting around a campfire. We can't go anywhere. We've already exposed ourselves to one another. So, you know, we, this, this is, we're either going to die or we're not. So let's <laughs> tell each other stories. And um, the difference between uh, this lockdown was that we had our screens and we had connection to the outside world in, you know, an unprecedented, intense way, you know, where we had more information in 30 seconds than people would have gotten in a lifetime, you know, some other, some other age. So that's the, that's the different reality that we do live in. And so that spawns, obviously that had spawned and that continues to spawn conspiratorial, you know, thinking and, and, no, basically, conspiracies to me are just stories that people are telling. So it's very similar. You know, people started telling stories during the lockdown by talking about conspiracies, you know, fictionalized, uh, trying to make fictionalized sense of what they saw going on around them. So I thought, well, this is interesting to kind of go inside the lockdown. You know, we're all kind of locked down in our own minds anyway, right? That's mm-hmm. the way we live. We're isolated in some way. And then, So what do you allow in, you know, aside from being six feet away, can't allow the physical in, but you know, what's, what's your screen for the screen, you know, what, and this guy, you know, as, as he gets lonelier, psychologically sicker, he also gets physically sicker. And there's, there's all these kinds of, you know, symptom or symbol is a question in the book. So there's all these kinds of like, well, what is an actual sickness and what is a mental sickness and, you know, all these kinds of questions that arise. Hmm. Yeah. And of course, the pandemic sort of makes all of us go out of our minds a little bit. I mean, I can't even imagine without the phones, although I feel like there was quite a negative perception of the phone in the story and how it ends up, you know. Absolutely. No, I mean, I have, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old fuddy-duddy that way. You know, I'm, I'm from a different generation so it's like not native to me like even mm-hmm. the way you know the way my kids treat it is different from the way I treat it I mean it's sure sure it's convenient and everything but I, I can't imagine a way in which it's made my life better I mean mm-hmm. if, if I got into trouble somewhere and I need to make a call that would be great uh, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet you know like, like, but in the story of course like when, when he is in trouble, he's like, I know my kids like taught me, what am I supposed to press? Like two buttons. What am I supposed to do? Well, it, does, it the phone does come in handy because he throws it at the guy and he yes, hits him. Of course. Know? So, I know. So I think the way a phone can really come in handy is if you use it as a, a, defensive yeah, it's a weapon. weapon. Yeah. Defense, only defensive though. 
Mm, okay. Defensive <laughs> weapon. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't even know why I carry mace. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's like a total waste. Don't need that bear. Just need a solid <laughs> iPhone. Exactly. Um, you had, can I read a passage that I thought was so awesome? Sure. Okay. This is about New York again. You say thousands of windows lighting up now like rectangular hearts beating, contagious to one another, multiplying exponentially until it seemed the entire ghostly lockdown city and all its cordoned off lonely people had begun communicating again, crying, I see you, I see you, I see you, reaching out to one another across the dark moat of a park. It struck him as beautiful to behold, the city confusing itself for a Christmas tree, seeking connection through the speed of light, tired of this smothering killjoy pandemic and its careful puritanical distances. Ridley Elementary backstroked cheerfully as an otter, and glancing down south, he watched in awe as the Empire State Building winked at the Chrysler Building, and the Chrysler winked and flirted shamelessly back, that mile-high, glamorous, silver Art Deco couple, like a strange royalty reuniting before his eyes. The city was falling in love with itself again, coming back to life, and he felt honored to bear witness. That's gorgeous. That is a gorgeous passage. Thanks. I'm thinking when I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of adjectives, buddy. You know, but really? Uh, oh my gosh. I thought you would be thinking, wow, did I write that? That was so beautiful. <laughs> oh, it, it did. It gave me goosebumps, kind of, just because I, I like that. N- not necessarily the writing, but I like the idea. You know, I like it reminds me of that moment or those days or that month or that year when the city just started to come out of the pandemic, you know, and there really was. Us, you know, because New Yorkers, you know, we complain about everything about about New York. We, we claim to love it, but we just complain about it. And at that point, it was just like love. You know, it was just like, yeah, we're out. Of, you know, the streets are fucking filthy and crowded. And yeah. It's all great. You know, it's like, yeah. You know, so there's that moment when you when you've lost everything and you realize, hey, you know, things were pretty good. Things were pretty good then. That's true. You know, fall, fall back. It's like falling in love again, which is what it says in the passage. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. 
The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Well, you also, as I mentioned before, you talked about 9-11 and how everything that was important to us became so clear, right? It was so front of mind, like, oh, this is what's important. And then like a year or two later, you're like, oh, well, I've kind of lost hold of that. Everything's just back to the way it was. And you lose that sense of... Yeah, that's just human nature, I guess, you know, yeah. that we, you know, and in, in, I guess intense times tends, tend to make you focus on survival and what what you what's important. So you cut back on the luxurious things or you cut back on the extraneous things and you realize, Oh yeah. You know, all I need is a peanut butter jelly sandwich and my loved one, whatever, you know what I mean? So, and that's great. You know, if we could hold on to that, that'd be fine. But all of a sudden we're like, eh, and I'm really like peanut butter. You know? <laughs> I feel like this is a good conversation because I've been complaining so much lately about the city and how it doesn't stay <laughs> lately and everything's going out of business and like there's garbage everywhere. I'm like, yeah. oh, and I'm always like, should I move? And I'm always like, I'm never going to move. <laughs> How do we even <laughs> talk about this? Yeah, I I moved, you know, I mean, I, when I grew up, well, you grew up there too. So yeah, for me, it was, it was enough already. You know, it was like, uh, I'll always enjoy going back, but I like the clean slate after a point too. I think it may be when my kids are in college. <laughs> well, that's what it was. I, oh. I, I I didn't leave until my kids were oh, gone. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've got quite a bit to go, <laughs> but that's okay. Counting down. Yeah. yeah. Day by day. Day by day. <laughs> Another funny thing that you did in the book is even though, you know, your main character is curmudgeonly in a way, he also sort of defies the typical grandfather stereotype where you think like, oh, the grandparents will be so happy when I call. But here he's like, the grandkids are so annoying. And the last thing I want is for them to get on FaceTime and pretend that they want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I don't have any grandkids, but I imagine they won't want to talk to me when, when they <laughs> so funny. My kids barely like me, so I can't imagine my grandkids want to talk. <laughs> well, that's another interesting part is his relationship to his daughter. And, you know, as she worries, and obviously he's descending into his own mental stuff, yeah. but, you know, wanting mm-hmm. to figure out how to preserve that relationship. And then there are observations you have just about life. Like when you have him sitting on the ground and thinking, how did people like dig graves when the ground was this hard and there were no machines? And I'm like, yeah, right. How did they do that? They were just tougher than us. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, if you've ever tried to touch the ground in Central Park in the middle of winter, you're like, yeah, it'll just pull your nail right off. So yeah, it was a scene where he's digging for, you know, he's trying to find something to throw at that guy before he, before he throws the iPhone at him. Yeah. Trying to find a rock or a pebble, and it's, it's just hard, kind of slaty, slaty soil. I'm embarrassed to admit, I did not know that it was once that Central Park was once used as the burial ground for mm. slaved people. And not sure that I knew that. Maybe I knew that. I can't remember. I mean, did you did you make that up, or is that true? 
I'm pretty sure I didn't make it up. I know it was a potter's field at some point, which is, you know, for unclaimed bodies or unknown uh, deceased. Yeah, I, I'm sure I I'm sure I researched that, but I didn't know it. I think I was just just researching general facts about Central Park. You know, I think I was researching the reservoir, you know, mm-hmm. when it was really last used and you know, what's the deal with it and all that stuff. So yeah, it's very interesting to to well, the history of New York's very interesting, you know, as any kind of history is, but a big city like that, yeah, there's a lot of I mean, that's kind of the story is kind of getting that, too. If you you think of like the city as a person, you know, it has this kind of repressed history, unconscious, whatever things it would rather not think about that it did in the past. Things Mm -hmm. like that. Like if it's a father, you know, mistakes I made, things like that. So the city has kind of a repressed return of the repressed or an unconscious that when the city is sick, like during the pandemic, then the city also is, is having hallucinations you know that's kind of he's like the conduit for a city hallucinating in a way i'm just making that up right now but it sounds good let's let's go with it i like it that's what i meant to do that's what i meant (laughs) so what do you want the reader to take away from your story Mm. gee that's you know it's like not something it's a good question but it's not something i ever asked myself it's like when i'm writing something it's just like i'm trying to service the thing itself you know what does this thing want to be I'm not really thinking of the reader. I think I really wanted to kind of have a uh, sympathy for the conspiratorial mind, you know? Like, I think it's all bullshit, you know, all the Trumpian kind of stuff out there. But I wanted to kind of investigate how it's comforting and how how it's attractive, you know? How it can seduce, well, in this case, a sick guy, you know? who's nearing the end on some level knows that and wants the answer, you know, the part of us that that wants the answer, you know, and I wanted, you know, the answer is not Jewish space lasers, you know, (laughs) but I get why I want to write a story in which I, I had an intelligent man kind of fall prey to the need for it to make sense, you know, because the truth is, there really isn't one bad guy. There's not even like a cabal of 10 bad guys. You know, it's just it's just groups of people trying to do their best usually and some people not doing, you know, some genuinely bad people doing things, but they're not organized. You know, there's no there's no organized conspiracy and that's just movies and TV and we want that. We clearly want that, you know, cuz we want to blame a bad guy. We want to have a hero. We want to have a good guy. But I guess that's what I wanted to do was like show how when you get lonely, you're susceptible to wanting that the kind of comfort of the big A answer, the big T truth or whatever. I got it. I got it. Now I can now I can move on, you know. Hmm. Interesting. I, I just I just answered that to your question. I read this interview with Joyce Carol Oates where she was saying very intelligently, you know, like I just answered your question. I never thought of that. And I don't even know that I believe what I just said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're just kind of trying it out. Yeah. So what do you think? How did it sound? It sounded okay. It All sounded right. good. Like next week, I might go, yeah, no, that wasn't it, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, just let me know. I'll delete it. <laughs> Are you working on anything new? I just started. Yeah, I'm going to do an acting job in, in uh, Europe today, actually, which is why I was late and just forget forgetful. And I am, I just started a podcast yesterday. I'm going to do 
a 10 episode podcast with Lemonada, the podcast mm-hmm. company. Yeah. And so I just did my first one yesterday. I was in your position and it's different. I'd never, I'd never been the interviewer. It's, it's a learning process. I got it. It, it wasn't quite as smooth as I thought it was going to be. You know? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, maybe if you think back to when you started and to where you are now, you probably have learned a few tricks. I used to write down all my questions and so ahead of time. I would write, I would do quotes, you know, like I was a kid in school and send yeah. all the questions. I did that for years until finally someone came on and was like, why do you send the questions? And I was like, oh, just, you know, to prepare and let you know. And, yeah. and he was like, I think it would be a lot more fun if you didn't send questions. And then I was like, all right, that would save me some time. Yeah. <laughs> so then I yeah. stopped, but it helped for a long time. Not that you need that, but it helped me. Yeah. Yeah, well, mine's called Fail Better. It's kind of about failure. Oh. You know, it's my, you know, the glory and necessity of it and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. Do you think people think, of, I don't think of you and failure in the same breath. Where does, you know? Well, that's kind of what I'm talking. I mean, I'm not just talking about myself, but it's, you know, my sense is always, it's never exactly what you thought it was going to be or what, what you had in mind, no matter what the creation is. Mm-hmm. I mean that that that's failure in art or whatever. There's failure in life. There's all different kinds of failure. But I was, I kind of had this idea that I wanted to be talking about, you know, how to sh- how to shift the perspective on failure as not something to fear, but something to embrace in a way, because that's mm-hmm. the only way. That's the only way you move forward, really. Or you could just do the same thing over and over and succeed at that, and you know, you can live your life that way if you want. But that felt kind of lonely and like a not a way to go so (laughs) yeah that's just like the vague idea that i have the discussion i want to have so it's not like i've got i'm not saying your job is easy but like you've got the one book so you're going to ask about this right it's like for me i'm just like it's very hazy so Mm. like it was an interesting kind of a kind of a feeling like should i get back to what this is supposed to be about but this is interesting you know Mm. that kind of Yeah. yeah Well, it's your show. You get to do whatever you want. Yeah, well, I forgot that. <laughs> in the moment. I forgot. <laughs> and what is your what is your acting thing in London, can you say? It's an Amazon limited series called Malice. And it's uh it's kind of wealthy people behaving badly, kind of a deal. You know? Sounds good. It seems to be what people want these days. <laughs> I'll take some of that. <laughs> <laughs> and do you write while you're in the midst of acting, shooting, whatever? I don't generally. I find it hard. I mean, just physically hard, just mm-hmm. to have the energy. Mentally, very hard to be able to shift focus like that. I guess, no, the only time I ever wrote while I was acting was when I was doing the X-Files, but then I was writing. I was writing like X-Files, so it, it kind of was in the same headspace in a way, even mm-hmm. though very different kind of motor skill to do one and then the other. But generally, no. No, because when I write, I kind of write hard and and fast and focused. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a slow, slow writer who can do it over. I'm, I'm more of a sprinter when I write, so I can't be carrying something else when I'm sprinting. Got it. Well, now maybe you can just go back to a short story. We can get shorter and shorter till then. You have poems, just poems to the end. I do have a bunch of poems that I thought about publishing just because. It would make me seem like I'm being more productive than I am, you know, because <laughs> these are these are poems that I've written over a lifetime, really. And I don't know, I've got to find uh, somebody who'd be interested in publishing them, you know, see, obviously, that's not a, 
you know, a market, a, you know, it's gotta be, there's like the literary poetry market, which is, you know, you sell 20 copies and it's a hit. <laughs> then there's the popular poetry market, which like, I think is basically just Billy Collins and uh, <laughs> maybe Amanda Gorman. And then uh, I don't know what happens in between, you know? Well, I guess you could find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Well, I mean, the, the ob- most obvious advice is, is just, you know, sit your ass down, you know, and write. And that's it. Because it really is. It, it is a marathon and it, it is a muscle and it is a, a way of life, you know. So <sighs> it may be tired. Oh, my gosh. I don't like <laughs> And you really love it, don't you? <laughs> uh, well, there's nothing better than having done it. You know, like I, I, I would say that I, I don't really love writing, but I love having written, you know, like when you come out of it, like if you're just in the space and you're, you've been typing away for a couple hours and you realize that was a couple hours, you know, where I was <laughs> elsewhere, you know, and it's, even if it's a dark place, you're doing dark work or whatever, it doesn't matter. It feels like a vacation of some kind, uh, just, uh, just to be out of your, well, to be off the screen for one thing, be out of whatever the loop is of the news of the day and all that stuff. And it's just good to keep your own company. Very true. Well, thank you. You're a beautiful writer and thank I really you. enjoyed the story and the conversation. So thanks. Thank you. Likewise. Have a good trip. <laughs> Take care. Sorry I was late. No worries. No worries. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.